0: A movie came out a few years back called Stranger Than Fiction. It had uh, Will Ferrell and Emma Emma Thompson and Queen Latifah, and I think Dustin Hoffman was in it. But what I liked about this movie was the really clever plot line. And I'm just going to read you a summary of the plot uh, from a movie website. Everyone knows that your life is a story. But what if a story was your life? Harold Crick is your average IRS agent, monotonous, boring, and repetitive. But one day this all changes when Harold begins to hear an author inside his head narrating his life. The narrator is extraordinarily accurate and Harold recognizes the voice as an esteemed author he saw on TV. But when the narration reveals that he is going to die, Harold must find the author of the story and ultimately his life to convince her to change the ending of the story before it is too late. You know, they say that life Imitates art or art imitates life. And in a very real sense, Paul is arguing in this letter to the Colossians that we are part of a much bigger story and that God is the author of this story, the story of reality. The idea that I am the master of my destiny, that I am the one charting my course forward, that I am the author of my story. Well, Paul tells us in this letter that like the stranger than fiction movie, that idea is pure comedy. It's simply not true. It is the narrator's voice, the spirit of God That ultimately gives my life and your life meaning and purpose. And if Paul is right here, our story starts with rebellion. You open the Bible and you see this awesome creation that is is spoken into being by the Creator. The universe is made and it is good. We come on the scene and we are uniquely engineered with the imprint of God on our souls we are called to be image bearers of the creator in his creation and then the turn the rebellion we chose to make the story about us we chose to rewrite the script we chose to change the rules and make our own rules. And instead of of abounding freedom and joy, we brought disgrace and shame and sin and addiction and hostility into this world and hostility into our relationships with each other and our relationships with the author, with our God. Over time, the Bible records how the darkness spread generation to generation, person to person. We, rewriting God's story, have diminished and damaged the work of God in creation. And then in the single greatest plot twist of all time, The author of reality wrote himself into the story. The word became flesh. And to redeem humanity, we needed one of us to come into this world and to fight on our behalf against our greatest enemies, against sin and death. The author says, Behold, I make all things new. Jesus came to make things right. Through his death on the cross, our rebellion was forgiven. Our place in the great drama restored. And our destiny set right so that we will not end in sin and death. Like IRS agent Harold Crick, we must find the author of the story. We must read the Bible together, and and listen to the narrator's voice. And there we find ourselves, we find our true selves, and we find our true story. This is on your outline this morning. You can write this down. My, My true self and story are found in Christ, or discovered in Christ. And last week, we saw one of the implications of this is that there are some things that we, frankly, need to get rid of. Paul is even more stark than that. He said, you got to put it to death. The sinful nature, the old story, it's got to die so that the new story, the gospel story can emerge. And we as disciples in this new story, we no longer live for ourselves. Now we live for Christ. And in Christ, we have been selected by God to be part of this amazing kingdom plotline, And so we saw last week some of the things that need to, to be edited out of our story. And today we will encounter in Colossians 3 the role that God has laid out for each one of us in his story of reality. Let's pick it up in verse 12. Since God chose you, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, making allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Truth is stranger than fiction. You are in God's story. (laughs) And, And even if you're not a believer, if you haven't gotten to that point of faith yet, you get glimpses in your life of the story of God. You, you hear from time to time the narration of the Spirit of God, I believe, and you sense there is something more than, than the smallish story that you have been living. Now, the image that Paul chooses here in chapter 3 to kind of describe this new reality, kind of describe entering into God's story is, is a, new, a new wardrobe that you have been given. In Christ, you have been given an all-new wardrobe, and so he says in chapter 3, verses 12 and verses 14, that we are to what? We are to clothe ourselves with what we have been given. Jesus made an incredible investment in us so we could get this wardrobe change in the middle of the story between Acts 2 and 3. And he invested his life in our futures and he gave us his spirit to help us in our new role in his story. We are no longer rebels. Now, we are part of God's story. And that last phrase in that, pa- that passage that I read is incredible. It talks about God as your father. Father. You see, now, you're not a rebel. You're his daughter. You're his son. Wardrobe change. I read something that, that got my attention this week. I've heard a lot about different athletes signing these huge apparel deals with, you know, Adidas or different companies. And, and one of those uh, that I was reading about this week was Rory McIlroy, the golfer signed a deal with uh, Nike, and he inked this deal a few years back worth $250 million. That's a lot of money. And then last year, 2017, he inked an all-new contract with him, extending out for 10 more years. That's quite a deal. Well, did you hear Paul describing your deal? <laughs> Did you hear Paul talking about the apparel deal you got through Jesus? It's even greater than what Rory got. You have been given something to wear head to toe, this brand new wardrobe. And when you're baptized, you enter into the greatest sponsorship deal in history. Your life is now underwritten by the Spirit of God. You represent Him in the world. And so Paul is saying, wear that. Dress in that. It's been purchased for you. Make sure that you're putting this on. And so the call of the text today really is is recognizing who you are in the story. Paul says in verse 12, you are God's chosen people you are holy and dearly loved wear that wear that on your outline I have this idea it's it's that I now live from a new identity so really what we're talking about here with this is is how I see myself you know when you look in the mirror metaphorically who do you see the word here in Greek is eklektos, it's chosen. It means you're, you're selected by God. And, and I think sometimes we pay too much attention to what others say about us or what others may think about us. Now, I'm not going to tell you that what your boss thinks about you doesn't matter I'm not going to tell you that what your kids think about you doesn't matter but what I do want to tell you is that the words of the author of reality are the ones that really count those are the ones that should define the way you think and feel about yourself it is his truth that carries eternal weight amen so how does God feel about you What does God think about you? How does He see you? Well, He selected you to be His. He selected you to call Him Father. He sees you as part of His chosen people. How does He feel about you? How about that phrase, dearly loved? When he sees you, he sees holiness. And I would suggest this is how you should see yourself. Because there is no truer view, no clearer vision than the vision of God. And that's how he sees you. I like how Lisa Turkhurst puts it. She says, remember who you are. Don't compromise for anyone, for any reason. You are a child of the Almighty. Live that truth. God's word about you matters more. And I promise you his word about you is the last word. Sometimes we play our little tapes in our heads, in our lives. We have our own little screenplay that we've written out. And it goes like this. Uh, We tell ourselves, I am worthless Some of you tell yourself, I can never be loved. Some of you tell yourselves that I'm a terrible person. And so I've got this key question there on the outline. It's this, how do I see myself? And I just want you to think about that this week. How do I see myself? How do I think about myself? And I want to suggest something, and I'll tell you up front, this is a little bit strong But I think it comes straight out of the text from the Spirit of God. Here goes. If you primarily see yourself as worthless, if you primarily see yourself as a terrible person, if you primarily see yourself as unlovable, It doesn't sound to me like God is the author of your story. It sounds like you or someone else has taken control of the script. Because we've been told what the author says about you. He says, you're my eclectos. You're you're my selected. You're my son. You're my daughter. You are holy. You are dearly loved. So, how do I see myself? Is is that how I see myself? One chosen by God, one holy in his sight, wearing the garments of Christ, the righteousness of Christ? One who is dearly loved to the point of that sacrifice on the cross. Is that how I see myself? I should. The old (laughs) that old hymn that Fanny Crosby wrote, and that refrain, this is my story. This is my song. Blessed assurance. She says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This is my story. This is my song. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. That's who I am. That's my identity. And this new story will change not only how you see yourself, but it will drastically change how you see others. This is what Paul says in verses 13 and 14. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love. Now we're getting back to our true story. Who we are were, we're always meant to be. This is the story where we are a people shaped by the grace of God. Now, we've talked about this before, and it's not a news flash to you. You are never going to be in a relationship with another person on this earth who is not a sinner. Mr. Right does not exist. Maybe Mr. Almost Right exists, but Mr. Right does not exist, okay? Your mother is a sinner. Your spouse is a sinner. Your BFF is a sinner. Your boss, you know this already, is a sinner. Your preacher is a sinner, right? The only people, hey, cut it out. Not supposed to amen that one. (laughs) But the only people we get to be in relationship with are sinners like us. You're not naive, you know this. But the narrator has shown me that everybody I meet, every soul that I encounter bears, and it may be hidden, it may be under a lot of grime and filth, but it bears the image of God. And every man, woman, child that I meet is someone for whom Jesus Christ died. They are precious to God. And so that changes the way I see people. And only when you know the true story do you see this. Otherwise, you just see the grime, you see the filth, you see the rebellion, you see the ugliness. And so Jesus frees us up, takes the scales off of our eyes so that we can see clearly how valuable the people around us are and and so we can change our attitude in our relationships. Write this down in your outline. I now have a brand new attitude. This is about how I see others. Talked about how you see yourself. Let's talk about how we see others. Over everything else, Paul says, put on what? Put on love. And he doesn't just say, I love this. He doesn't just leave us with this romantic, put on love, The ethereal, the romantic notion. No, he drags love into the reality of relationships with sinful people, and he tells us exactly what it looks like. He says, Here's what it looks like it looks like bearing with someone, he says, It looks like forgiving grievances. And these may be legitimate beefs, legitimate grievances, and you forgive them. He says, that's what love looks like in your home, in your workplace, in your church, in your neighborhood. So the key question is, how do I see others? How do I see others? And then Paul really makes us think. Forgive Forgive, how? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Mm. So how did Jesus forgive you? Did Jesus come along and say, I forgive you, but I'm going to remember that forever and remind you of it? Did Jesus say, I forgive you, the small stuff, maybe some of the medium-sized stuff, but I'm going to remember that big one. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did Jesus forgive you? And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons Jesus engineered the Lord's Supper to be a part of our gatherings. So when we come together and worship and sing, and when we gather as God's eclectos, Jesus gets a chance to ask ask us, so how did I forgive you? Don't I forgive you fully? Don't I forgive you freely? And finally, when we begin hearing the narrator's voice and living in his story, we get swept up in this plot line of redemption. We begin to sense that our actions, big and small, actually have meaning within this story of God. And so I want you to read this with me, verse 17. Let's read this together. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, your words, your actions, big, small, do it for Jesus. And I'm gonna level with you. I think this is why some people Choose to remain in their own smaller stories where their wants and their dreams take center stage, where they get to call the shots because the rebellious heart pushes against the reality with a capital R that we were created by Him, that we were created for him and that we only find our true selves when we belong to him on your outline i now live under new management paul says i now live under new management and this has to do with how i see the lord how i see god that prayer thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven As followers of Christ, that's our prayer. There is a kingdom agenda at work, and we are part of that. I like how Francis Chan puts this. It kind of makes you think. He says this, Disciples, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Succeeding at things that have no eternal weight. We just want to be part of God's agenda. And that gets to this question of how you see God. Do you see God as a mythical figure? God is a, a pile of superstitions created by the ancients who didn't know any better. Is that how you see God? Do you see God as a, as, a, as a celestial concierge who exists to serve your whim and pleasure, to make your ride here on earth a little bit smoother? Do you see God as, as the positive charge of the universe? And if you get things right, you can just kind of tap into his power. Or do you see God as the author of reality, as the sovereign of the universe and the Lord of your life? So the question here becomes, how do I see God? How do I see God? If you want a clear-eyed, 2020, high-def view of exactly what God is like, exactly who he is Paul has been very clear with this in our journey through Colossians. You look to Jesus, right? He says in chapter 1, verse 15, that Jesus is the, in, the image of the invisible God. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 23, that all things, that means you and me and everything else, all things were created by him and for him. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 9, that in Jesus, all of the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus. So how do I see God? He is personal, perpetual, powerful. He is Jesus. And whatever I do, whatever I say, it finds meaning in him. Again, I have found my true self and my true story in him. Whatever I do, whatever I say, I do for him. I'm a representative of the Lord. As that movie, Stranger Than Fiction, comes to its climax, the main character goes to a payphone and calls the author, the author of his story, Karen Eiffel. He says... My name is Harold Crick, and I believe you are writing a story about me. What a revelation. What a revelation. You see, our hearts have been searching for the author of the story. Our search have been, our, our hearts have been longing for God to find him, to know him, to discover my place in his story. That's what happens when a person surrenders to the lordship of Jesus. To be baptized in the name of Jesus. The Lord himself talks about this in John chapter three as a new birth birth an awakening, I would say, to the true story. You are born again. You find out who you are and why you're here. I had a baptism at first service. Man, Jesus has been on a roll here in 2018. And it was cool to see Hannah give her life to Christ this morning. And maybe that's your situation. You need to cross that line of faith and say yes to this bigger story. Move your life under new management. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe there's something else that's burdening your heart, something you want to pray about. And as we always do, you're invited just to, to gather with your spouse or your small group or your connection or whoever's next to you on the pew and just say, hey, could you pray about this for me? Or come down and pray with me or one of our shepherds. We would love to bring that before the throne of the author of life in prayer. However you need to respond, do that as we stand together in worship.